Welcome back, journeyers, to another episode of Read Keeper's Journey, a novel written and read by Mark Diaz. When we last left the kids, they are in this enormous tree that defies logic, and it's inhabited by these strange women who don't speak their language. The kids are now being led away by two of the girls to who knows where. Now, back to the story. Chapter 8 Michael led the group following the two girls down a dimly lit corridor. Stacy was his foremost concern. He might have considered exploring this strange place, even enjoying this weird adventure, if she was safe at home. The simple fact was, she was his responsibility, and that overruled any other need or want. His watch said they had been gone for at least two days. In the past, their parents had worked themselves into a frenzy if he had been more than ten minutes late. Michael shook his head. What a mess, he thought. He could only imagine what Jack and Barbara would do when he and Stacy finally got back home. He glanced at his sister. She held his hand with a firm grip. Stacy seemed calm, but Michael knew better. He could see the tightness of her features and the way her eyes searched the shadows. It reminded him of the night Barbara had gone berserk and started throwing things at Jack with the type of force that is reserved for the truly unhinged. Stacy had just turned ten. She had snuck into his room that night, wide-eyed and trembling. It had been one of their worst fights, and it totally unnerved his little sister. Truth be told, it had the same effect on him. They sat on the floor long after Jack had stormed out of the house, with Stacy quietly sobbing on his shoulder. He had never really liked his parents, but that night he began to hate them. He hated them for what they were doing to his little sister. He looked over his shoulder. Ken was still fuming. It wasn't like his friend to unload on him like that. As far as Michael could recall, he had never had a serious argument with Ken. There was probably a reason for that. Michael didn't react well to people's tempers. He had a lifetime worth of anger from Jack and his derogatory remarks. Still, he could usually retain his calm. He knew Kid had a point, too, but his friend wouldn't listen to reason. If these girls were indeed friendly, the group could destroy their only chance at help if they ran. These people might know the way home. Ken's just rattled, and this is his way of coping, Michael thought. Well, he better find another way to cope or he'll screw it up for everybody. The two girls leading them stopped and faced the wall. Michael forced himself to watch as one reached forward and the wall flowed apart. He couldn't detect any device of any kind, or the difference from this portion of the wall from any other. The girls motioned them in, but didn't injure themselves, and then closed the door from the other side. Ken spun around and frantically ran his hands over the sealed wall. His fingers only found a smooth surface. With a sigh, he turned back to his friends. It seems we have moved to a more comfortable cell. Indeed, Michael thought. The room was considerably larger from the previous one. Tapestries draped the wall depicting various women frolicking about in different settings. The trees, and not the women, seemed to be the focal point of each work of art. His eyes were drawn to one in particular. It spanned a good 50 feet and at least 20 feet high, covering a good portion of the far wall. It was composed of three colors, 
the most vivid blue he had ever seen for a sky, a blazing red-orange for the setting sun, and a rich black for the horizon. A memory swept him away. He was five, visiting his mother's family in the valley. He didn't know if confusion was a large part of most children's lives, but it was for him. His parents told him that they were going to the desert to see the horizon and the setting sun. He vividly remembered sitting in the back seat of a Volkswagen bug, nearly vibrating with excitement. It's where the sky meets the land. Barbara had tried to explain in the car while she cradled Stacy. The thought thrilled him. He imagined standing on the world's edge, touching the sky as it descended to meet the earth, where one false step would send you eternally plummeting into space. He remembered how he stood, leaning against the car, watching the ball of fire being slowly devoured into a thin line of land in the distance. Tears welled up in his eyes as the full realization enveloped his tiny mind. The horizon could never be reached. It was a concept, a thought, a word for something that can only be seen but not touched. There was no such thing as Santa Claus or magic or fairies. Nothing existed over the rainbow. But something does exist. I'm walking in a tree somewhere beyond the rainbow, he thought. Michael? Stacy looked concerned. You okay? Michael was jolted back to the present. His cuts felt inflamed again. He wiped his cheek roughly and was surprised to see clear wetness on his fingers and not blood. I'm fine, Stace. Just remembering a movie I once saw. He gave her a smile. Don't worry, sis. I won't let anything happen to you, he whispered. I know. She gave him a heartfelt hug and sat down on one of the large, bright pillows that were scattered about the chamber. The entire room was cast in that same ruddy glow that emitted from the holes. Michael corrected his observation. Indentations in the walls, as with all the other rooms and halls he had seen. A large round table sat in the center of the room, surrounded by more of the giant obnoxiously colored cushions. The table looked as though it had been grown out of the floor rather than being carved from a piece of wood. All types of breads and fruits covered it. His mouth began to water. The last meal he could remember was at school, literally a world away. Steve strolled over and flopped on a flagrantly purple long, low couch. Well, I don't know about anybody else, but after a night's sleep on the floor, I'm happy to see a couch under any circumstances. Kitten grumbled something about being fattened up for the kill, but ate just as eagerly as Michael. Six wooden goblets and several pitchers lined the table. They were filled with a fruity punch that had a pleasantly stinging aftertaste. They all ate their fill, including Steve, who ended up feeding himself after exhausting all efforts to get Heather to feed him with grapes while he lounged on the couch. Steve amazed Michael. Despite the direness of their situation, Steve always found a way to lighten the mood. He was that type of guy that rode the bomb whooping and hollering into the ground. Time passed slowly, with no one willing to approach the subject of, what now? Hours later, they were dozing fitfully in a way the only well-fed can, except for Ken, who restlessly paced the room. The two same maidens returned and silently waited for the others to rouse themselves. 
Michael glanced at his watch. It read 6.30 p.m., but that meant nothing in this setting. It could be midday outside, and he would be none the wiser. The tree blocked all sense of time. After the group shook off their stupor, their guides led him back down a massive hallway for a few minutes until it ended abruptly. Michael couldn't tell if he was imagining it, but it felt like they were in the heart of the structure. In the dim light, he could see the rings grow tighter and tighter on the floor. A feeling of age-old weight pressed down on him. Instead of fluidly splitting in two, the entire end of the corridor swung open on invisible hinges. Michael could see that the door was at least four feet thick. They stood at what appeared to be an auditorium. The room was vast and could easily consume the size of the last chamber. Though Michael could not make out any of the opposing walls in the low light, the sense of space was tangible. The ceiling, too, disappeared into the shadows. Stones that emitted a luminous sheen lined a path through thousands of cushioned seats, which led to a dais easily a hundred yards away. Sitting on a plain, yet massive throne, draped in a myriad of colors, was a woman. Their escorts led them down to the foot of the dais to her. The woman had a very distinct and undefinable beauty and exuded a peaceful authority. Her face and features were plain, but she emitted what Michael could only describe as an aura of vitality. Her skin was a rich, fleshy hue, gently touched by the years. He could not put an age to her, but the word old seemed almost sacrilegious. Old depicts corruption and decay, but this woman gave off a clear impression of health and life. Michael imagined her sitting there like a tree for years, motionless and foreboding. Her eyes fell on each member of the group as they stood in uncomfortable silence. Her penetrating gaze fell on him, and she beckoned him forward with her staff, a long piece of wood, plain as its owner. A light green stone was set at the end of the staff, but it appeared to Michael that the wood had grown around it instead of being cut to hold it. Stacy tightened her grip on Michael's hand. I'll be fine, Stace. He meant it as a whisper, but in the still air it was irreverently loud. He stepped to the foot of the dais and repeated a gesture he had seen earlier, placing his hands to his lips and then extending them out, followed by a deep bow, and immediately felt foolish when her expression didn't change. She motioned him to come closer, and he slowly climbed several steps to her, realizing then how he had yet to hear the wood creak in the whole place. He tried to will confidence into himself. It took all his resolve not to flinch when she raised the butt of her staff and turned his chin to study the wounds on his face. She set down her staff and pulled a silver chain from the many folds of her robes. A leaf fashioned of the same metal dangled from it. She unclasped the necklace and motioned him closer still. Michael stepped forward and bowed his head as she placed a loop around his neck. Swiftly, she grabbed his left hand and held it with the strength of an oak. She raised her voice with an incantation and stabbed something into his palm. Power surged through him. Someone cried out. The back of his throat seared and his ears burned, but before he had time to panic, it ended. She still held his hand, but he couldn't remember falling to his knees. She stood and helped him to his weak feet. He was easily two feet taller than her, but her strength was remarkable. I regret the pain involved, but it was both temporary and necessary. Her voice chimed 
But as with all things, gain is coupled with a price. Amazed that she spoke English, Michael turned back to see his friends and saw their guides barring the way. I would have warned you if it was at all possible, the woman said dryly. But if it were at all possible, there would have been no need for it. Bewildered, he looked at his palm. There wasn't a mark, and there was no pain, just a faint tingling. I don't understand. I enabled us to understand each other, she explained. You can now speak and understand de sos tragui and the common tongue. This has not been done since the division. You? He was shaken. He scratched at his palm. He felt defiled. The thought of something foreign inside him, though undetectable, was unsettling. He recalled the story of a man with a phobia of skeletons, only to realize there was one under his own skin. But how? He forced his hand to his side. How all things are done, with knowledge and tools, the woman patiently explained. The spirit, allow me to bind you to Traguri. You have touched our spirit. She nodded towards the necklace. The antilipse leaf channels the power. It is the link. I still don't understand. What do you mean by linked? Please, she said. Tell your companions that you are unharmed, and I wish to do the same for them. Michael turned and regarded his friends, who all looked dubious except for Ken, who had turned a sickly pale. It's all right, guys. She has a way. He stopped short. Steve's mouth dropped, and Ken took two steps back, eyes darting. You must use your language, she informed. My language? A shiver ran through him. He concentrated. It's... The words felt foreign, almost clumsy. It's okay. She has a way to make us understand them. And I guess speak their language? They visibly relaxed. Steve whistled in astonishment. Weird. He shrugged. I'll give it a shot. And then strolled up the days and stood by Michael. Brace yourself. It's kind of a trip, Michael said. The woman placed another necklace around Steve's neck. He rolled his shoulders and shook out his arm in an effort to prepare himself before he offered his hand to the woman. In a surprising display of speed, she pierced his upturned palm with a splinter the size of a sewing needle. A reddish-brown light enveloped him for a heartbeat as he silently cried out. He dropped to his knees, clasping her hands. She let him rest for a moment before raising him to his feet. It always seems harder on the males. She examined Steve, but spoke to Michael. Some say it's because of your stubbornness. Michael thought he glimpsed the hint of a smirk on her lips. It would have been nice to have that in Spanish class. Steve coughed, scratching his palm. Bear, too, stepped forward without hesitation. Despite his size, he crumpled when a rich yellow-brown light surrounded him. He rose, a bit pale, but strong. Ken's turn came next. Michael had never seen his friend approach anything near cowardice, but sweat stood out on his forehead as he approached the strange and powerful woman. Face pale and dark eyes scurrying from her to his friends, he reached out with a trembling hand. When the light enveloped Ken, Michael first saw the darkest black tainted on the fringes with a sickly green before flashing to a rusty brown. 
skin collapsed, his eyes rolled back, and his body twitched, head bucking against the wooden floor. Steve and Michael rushed to help him, but his spasms were already beginning to subside. What did you do to him? Michael glared at the woman. The cuts on his face itched furiously. A look of concern shadowed her face, but she said nothing. She motioned to Heather and Stacy forward. No! Michael didn't mean to shout the word. Leave them alone. The four of us is enough. Steve nodded his consent. A hand touched Michael's shoulder. He turned to see Heather's calm, determined eyes. I need to do this, she said. I need to believe in something I can't see or touch. He stood silent for a moment, looking into her eyes. He could see a deep wound in her, but he could not tell from what or even how he knew. He felt something in his soul give way and wondered what she could see in his. Are you sure? Yes. She nodded and stepped past him. You do not understand. It is different with males than with us. The woman opened her arms to Heather. Come, sister. Heather extended her hand, but the woman brushed past it and took the girl's head into her own hands. Heather closed her eyes with a note of resolution. Michael could almost feel the tension thrumming from Steve. A brilliant blue and white light outlined Heather's form. She didn't cry out like the rest, but her lips parted slightly as if to accept a kiss. The blue light intensified, and it began to creep up the woman's hands, and her eyes widened in surprise. The woman murmured something, and the familiar rusty brown slowly spread over Heather. It flashed, consuming the blue, and then began to dissipate. Heather gasped and fell into the woman's arms, weeping as the light faded. Steve stepped forward, but stopped when he heard her whispering, Thank you, repeatedly. Baron Michael helped Ken to his feet, and they stood there for what seemed an uncomfortably long period of time, until Heather finally pulled away wiping tears away from reddened cheeks. I haven't cried like that in years. Heather smiled sheepishly. I'm sorry. Nonsense, child, the woman said gently. Stacy swept past Michael as dignified as any 14-year-old he had ever seen. Before he could utter another protest, the woman took her as she had Heather. A rich green brown surrounded his sister for the briefest of moments, and then it was over. She turned to him wide-eyed. That was gnarly, she said in wonder. Now, come, children, the woman beckoned. Come sit around me, and we will talk of what must be done. That's all for this episode, Journeyers. In the next episode, we'll find out who this woman is and the women who have taken them captive and what the next move is for the kids. Until then, thank you for listening and be good to one another.